Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Yep, no budget for theme song. So that is it. My name is Ohan, and this is Apes and Drapes. This episode is brought to you by Nationalism, the invented construct to keep you complicit within a system of indentured servitude beneath the unrelenting heel of plutocracy. It's Nationalism, promoting imagined differences between human beings since the dawn of the nation-state. All right, here we go. When receiving new ideas, unlike when we encounter physical objects, we need to build out an ideological framework that is capable of supporting those ideas if we want to be able to utilize them. This ideological framework is the context that surrounds every piece of information to build out coherent formal disciplines. In order to integrate information into our own understanding, we need to process the contextual information supporting it. Once we do so, we can build on that knowledge to learn more about a subject and even draw conclusions based on it. Once we build what we learn into a framework, we can relay that information to others. In order to be able to teach, we must build out context, meaning we must define the structure of a family of knowledge within our minds in order to support the information and effectively help others do the same. We build out analogies and introduce tangentially related concepts as a sort of ideological scaffolding as we construct with vibrations sent through molecules in the space between us a vast metropolis of thought. Now let's take the structure metaphor a bit further because it'll help to build out a mental image of the concept and apply it to any field we want. Also, I'm enjoying myself. If we're trying to build the seventh floor of a building, it's not possible to do so if we've only built the first three floors. Easy enough. That's a simple version. But really, branches of knowledge are more complex than that. So let's dive into a deeper example and really build something together. Say we're trying to install a sink in the communal kitchen on the 21st floor of an office building. Now, of that office building, only the first 17 floors are complete enough to have the sinks installed, and floors 18 to 23 are only half complete, and the water has only been brought up to the 19th floor, though electricity has been pulled up to the 23rd, and the stairwell goes up to 26th, but nobody knows whether or not the building will end up having 26 floors because those are the outer reaches of contemporary theoretical work of our building. So, in order to install the sink, we need to pull the water lines up to 21, put the floors in, build the kitchen counter, and then we need to know that though up until the 20th floor there is a kitchen on every even floor, that after that there are kitchens on every floor, which is why the 21st floor has a kitchen in the first place. And actually, there's a balcony on the north side of the 21st floor that cuts into the indoor space, so everything on that floor is moved 5 feet south, except for anything requiring plumbing, like the sink, which doesn't impact the installation of the sink itself, but is important structural information for the floor which the sink is a part of. And that is what it's like to integrate a new piece of information into an existing framework of knowledge. Everybody has a different blueprint for every idea. And most people have mostly incomplete blueprints for most ideas. There's a lot of information out there. Having someone explain what electron spin is, if we know nothing about physics, is kind of like asking somebody to install the sink on the 21st floor of our building when we only have the first five floors built out. They can start explaining, but mostly we're going to get not only a very abstract idea of what the 21st floor might look like, but also what the entire building might look like with 21 floors. Not to mention the fact that it might theoretically even have 26, for most of us, it's just a five-story building, and in this case, we call it physics. Things go up, things fall down, and we sleep easy. The remarkable thing is that humans can even transmit ideas this complicated. This is why the realm of ideas is so much more complex than the realm of objects, and why one can easily make the argument that without language, intricate ideas like this could not even exist. Biology classifies all living objects in a beautifully detailed categorization system, and though biologists will tell you the categorizations are not rigid structures, Ideas have an even harder time fitting into a roughly two-dimensional hierarchical structure like the tree of life. Information has multiple points of genesis and various influences. 
So a closer equivalent would be more like a tree of life blended with a sort of chart of interspecies dynamics over time. For that reason, we may eventually be able to build an idea classification tool that links ideas relevant to relative hierarchies in a digital four-dimensional framework. Three dimensions of virtual space to categorize and interlink for context, as well as a dimension of time to further store even more information about information for contrast. The thing is that when integrating information into a hierarchy, into any category, it adopts certain relative principles by integration into that category, and the category changes slightly to be able to hold that information. Meaning, add a 21st floor to a 20-story office building, and two things will happen. The 21st floor that you build will have the relative principle of being part of an office building, and the office building will now be known as a 21-story office building. Even though the rest of its identity stays the same, it can't be said to be a 20-story building anymore, because it's not. The new categories created when information doesn't quite fit will borrow some base characteristics of adjacent categories. Say you hear of a new country. You initially learn where it's located and really do intend to learn more, so you create a new category for it. But you can already assume it is a country and therefore allow it to have some base characteristics you attribute to countries in general, as well as some extra ones based on the characteristics you attribute to countries located in the same region. Okay, now say you hear of an entirely new thing, the Septigosema. Where does that fit? Well, what is it? What is the most fundamental piece of information you try to learn about a thing? Do you start with asking if it's an idea or an object? Do you ask if it's a person? Do you ask if it's real or imaginary? What's your most fundamental unit of categorization? Are all imaginary objects ideas of objects or objects that are ideas? For me, the line between real and imaginary is very blurry since we recreate all of reality in our minds and have the capacity to both misremember and hallucinate. For that reason, I can't make the distinction of real or imaginary my most fundamental criteria for categorization. The line between object and idea, however, is a little less blurry because they're types of things. So I first consider the distinction between object and idea, but you might have a different way of looking at things. So I'd start with, is the Septigosema an idea or an object? Say it's an object. Then I ask, real or imaginary? Say it's real. Then I ask which branch of human knowledge it would fall under. That can be a question of broad categories like philosophy, math, sciences, or history, or more specific ones like anatomy, molecular biology, or behavioral economics. Whatever it is, the more specific the realm, the faster we're going to get to understanding what it is, or at least where to put it, and which ideas or objects to cluster it with. I visualize the realms of human knowledge as always expanding outward with specificity, with the core fields of human knowledge in the center of a sphere, and the more detailed subcategories building out in three dimensions so we have a lot of metaphorical room to expand out into. Anyway, let's say the Septicosema is part of the sciences. Then we specify further into biology, then into anatomy, then brain anatomy. So roughly the overlapping realm of neuroscience, neurobiology, and cognitive psychology. Now we've specified enough to be able to make a statement like the Septicosema is a part of the brain. So now let's say the Septicosema is a part of the brain that is associated with being able to determine whether something is true or false. It's located in the middle of your brain and activates whenever you're trying to make the distinction between things that are real or imagined. Remove the Septicosema and you remove the capacity to distinguish between dream and reality. Great. Now that we've established what the Septicosema is, how about I tell you that the Septicosema doesn't exist? I tell you that I made it up. Do you use the Septicosema in your brain to turn the idea of the Septicosema from a real object to an imaginary one? Well, if the Septicosema is made up, you can't use the Septicosema to determine whether or not the Septicosema is real. Of course, there's the possibility that it is real, but it has a name other than the one I provided, 
Or maybe there is no region in the brain that directly correlates the ability to distinguish between real and imaginary phenomenon. Maybe it's still a mystery as to how we make the distinction. Or maybe the distinction between real and imaginary doesn't even exist. <laughs> if the septicosema does exist, and you assume I am lying about it not existing, then the septicosema in your brain is validating its own existence. If you think I'm telling the truth about it not existing, and it does exist, then the septicosema in your brain is tricked into invalidating its own existence. How strange. These are the curious things about how we categorize and the blurred lines of the universe of human information. Ideas and objects, real and imaginary, usually the difference is conviction more than an objective truth. Is it more important that the septicosema exists or whether you think it exists? How does that change your experience of it? Did the septicosema suddenly seem as real when I explained it as the hippocampus or the amygdala? If the septicosema was just as real to you as the hippocampus a moment ago when I introduced it, and then just blinked out of existence into the imaginary object category because you believed me when I told you it existed and then believed me again when I told you it didn't exist, what does that mean for the stability of your idea of the hippocampus? Have you ever held a hippocampus? Seen one from afar at a bar, perhaps? Curious. Maybe the septicosema is suddenly made more valid because of the association with the hippocampus, and therefore to doubt it would make the existence of the hippocampus less certain because to you they both existed in the same way, which is abstractly. So maybe you'd rather believe that I was lying about having made up the septicosema rather than cast out on the hippocampus by association because you believed the hippocampus existed beforehand on the same basis, which is simply that you were told it existed. Well, I'll leave you and potentially your septicosema to figure that one out. Tune in next episode when we cast out on the existence of panda costumes and grape jelly. <laughs>